because as her healing is, is being prolonged and he has this pain in his body. Um, who else? Um, Shelby, how's Shelby doing? Good, good, good. So Shelby had surgery and um, Amanda Bobbitt and Caitlin is here. I was like, I was going to get to you. <laughs> how are you doing? You're doing good. Good. She's here. She's here. That's good. That's good. And we got a praise. Renee has a praise report. Okay. Yeah. He got saved. Mm-hmm. And there is a ministry there, and it's only Christian Christian Christians to be able to be used and be in this ministry. Yep. And to seek the Lord and to guide him as they do him, and now it's seven day a week ministry. Praise God. That's good. Sometimes, sometimes prison is the mercy of God. Yeah, that is. Hey, it's a, it is. If we have hope in this life only, we're of all men most miserable. So anybody else have anything? Yeah. So anybody else have anything? <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this, this testimony, Lord God, of this son's salvation, God, and as he's moving into discipleship and ministry to serve you. We thank you for that, God, and give you glory that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could even ask or think, God. We thank you, God, for this day. We praise you, Lord God, for those who are healing from surgeries, God. They're recovering, God. We speak to their bodies to be strong by the word of God. We ask you, Lord God, that you would sustain them in health and healing, the healing process, Lord, that you would return them to this fellowship. We thank you for Caitlin, Lord God. I pray that you would continue to strengthen her, Lord God, body, soul, and spirit. We give you praise today. Open our ears to hear your word, our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning as we turn to Revelation 12 with Psalm 25 and 14. Psalm 25 and 14. Now, this, this message today, um, it's taken me a long time to get to it, but I've told you I didn't fully understand, and I think I have some understanding. So I, when I don't understand something, I drag my feet. I either drag my feet or the Lord won't let me move. I just can't seem to get anywhere until I've got the information I need. So that sometimes happens. He frustrates my plans. How many of you know that the frustration of your plans can still be the, a part of the Lord's plans? How many of you know that, you know, it's that flat tire that kept you from the wreck? You know what I mean? And we, we don't, we, sometimes we get into frustration of our plans and we can't get things to work out. And instead of allowing ourselves to be frustrated, why don't we just say, thank you, Lord, for taking care of the details? And that would, you know, because frustration is the frustrating part. It's how we respond to the plan is what happens. But so as we move today, Psalm 25 and 14 says this. The Lord, you can listen to this, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Here's another version of it. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant, another version. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he reveals his covenant to them. So here's the translation of that. God tells his secret plans to his friends. His friends are those, and his friends being defined, his friends are those who live in um, the wonder of his divine presence. 
See, that's what it means to fear the Lord. Sometimes we don't understand that concept because we have a very concrete version of what fear means, don't we? Fear, the type that we all understand that the Bible says the Lord has not given us a spirit of and so that fear that brings torment is the main fear that all of us are very cognizant of. So when you take a word like fear and you put it into a positive reference to fearing the Lord, it sometimes gets distorted in the translation, doesn't it? We have a hard time grasping the concept of what to fear the Lord means when our only reference to fear is, uh, is a tormenting fear. So, but if I've learned that the fear of the Lord, we all understand, we'll say, oh, that's reverential fear. But still, that's a little bit short of actually clearing up what that, the fear of the Lord actually is. And in studying, I have found that the fear of the Lord is best described as the wonder, W-O-N-D, wonderment, the wonder of His divine presence. To live in the awe of his divine presence. And you're like, well, how is that fear? Like this. If you are cognizant that you continually live in his awesome divine presence, how would that change your next conversation? As we should. How, if, if you are aware of his presence, like right now, right now, the majesty and the omnipotence and omniscience and the, the highness, the, the holiness, the, the, the magnificence. I just can't, I'm, I'm running out of superlatives. That presence is in you and around you. And you live, that's the fear of the Lord. You live in the realization of that all the time. Does that change what you watch on TV? Does it change your conversations? Does it change where you put your body, what you do with your body, how you think your thoughts? See, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now you understand how to fear the Lord. It's the wonder of his... So let's read that again with that new context of fear in place. The Lord confides or reveals his secrets to those who fear him. He makes known his covenant to them. Now, give me a New Testament scripture that brings this into clarity. Jesus speaking. How many of you can come up with it? He shares his secrets with his friends. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. But I call you my friends. How could he now move us into a friendship zone? Servants are further out, right? Friends are closer in. How could he possibly do that? How could I? We sang the song in the 90s every day on Sunday morning or the early 2000s rather. I'm a friend of God. I am a friend of God. How could he possibly move us into a, into a, a friendship mode? How could he possibly do that? Because now he has cleansed us from our sins and given us open, he's removed the veil so his divine presence can live in our house and thereby keep the house clean enough to dwell in his presence. 
It's because of his work on the cross. But see, we can't come to the Lord like, I'm your friend now. And this idea of like, because we're friends, we're good buddies, and he has to put up with my junk. See, that lacks fear. Wonder of his divine presence. So we bring this into context. You're like, Andrea, what does this have to do with, with Revelation? I don't know yet, but we'll get there. So Revelation 12. I'm going to read it over here. Uh, I don't know. I'm in e ESV right now. Let's just stay there in ESV. And then we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians. So Revelation 12. I just want to read this one little bit to set a context. Okay, and she, the woman, was crying out pregnant. I'm going to go through it. That's, that's Israel. Uh, let's go. 12, I'm looking. Let me get my glasses on. Three. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven horns and or seven heads and ten horns, and on his head was seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. The woman is Israel, and she's about to give birth. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus. But her child was caught up to God in his throne. He was crucified, resurrected, and he was he was. He ascended. He was caught up to God in his throne. And the woman fled. And so now see that what, what apocalyptic literature does is it takes great, it'll put a comma maybe 1,500, 2,000 years or an age. You know, it just collapses it all. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has, now we're moving into, now we're looking at history on this side of the comma. Jesus is crucified, buried, dead, ascended. And now we have, we're looking in prophecy. See, that's how the scripture does. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God for which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, how do I know it's prophecy? Because we are at the, the 1260 days tells us what? How many years is 1260 days? Three and a half. Where are we at? We're in the time of Jacob's trouble. So now we know where we're placed at. So now we're looking at prophecy. And as we look at this, we see, now war arose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Now who's fighting? Now we've got other players. We've got Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, just by way of just cross-referencing, you don't have to go there. You can make a note of it. I just want to read this to you. Daniel 12 and 1. Daniel is the, is the partner book of Revelation. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Who is the guardian angel of Israel? Right there. Just said it. This is Daniel 12, 1. There will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found in the book of life, will be delivered. We're right. See, we're corresponding. Do you see what, how we just, you went, wow, those are like tracking together perfectly. Right, now we're going to go a little further. Daniel 12 and 3. After at that time, now what time are we in? The tribulation, right? At the end of the age. Now listen to 12 and 3. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. 
some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse and those who turn away, turn many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. Okay. So we've got a resurrection and we've all got it in the context of this end of the age. Sounds like we're tracking now. So here we are, and we see the dragon. So a war breaks out in heaven, and Michael, the archangel, stands up, and he fights the dragon. He's defeated, and there is no longer, listen to this, 12 and 4. But he is defeated, the dragon, and there is no longer any place for them in heaven. Oh, I can't see. Oh, because I can't see. 12 and 8, thank you. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So we're not having to be confused about what this image is, are we? It tells us exactly, interprets the symbol, the devil and the dragon, the Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the, where? Somebody say, ouch. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Heavens, you get to rejoice. For and you who dwell in them, but woe to you earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. How short is it? Three and a half years short. It's already told us the time. Yes? Okay, so this is the, the three and a half years. Will you open this for me? I got a quick question. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, okay, Thank so you. Michael fights him and throws him down to earth. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This has been my, this has been my great dilemma is how to, de- there's so many different varying views out there on this. And I just, I just didn't feel like in myself that I had like a, a good grasp on it. You know what I mean? Because I can hear one teaching on it and I'm like, that sounds good. And then I hear another one, and that sounds good. <laughs> you know, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about when you hear, and you're just like, and so I just wanted to, and I'm not saying that, you know, that I'm like infallible here. But I have felt like I have, through not just end time teaching, but listening to a whole thing and reading, that I have, I feel like the Lord has shown me a way to piece things together that at least sets comfortably here, that I can live with. And so, and this is how I, I'm going to teach it today, and it's because I don't, I don't just base it on one scripture or even on somebody's teaching that I heard. I have to base scripture on scripture, right? And so that's what I will attempt to do the very best that I can. And so as I look at this, the question is this. Now, if you go to, I'm going to pull out of this, and I know that maybe y'all are going to want to take notes or go to these places. And so I'm going to go real quick to um, a scripture found, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, no, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3. Oh, it won't let me pull it up. Okay. 2 Corinthians 12. Okay. This is Paul speaking. Yeah, 2 and 3. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3. Now, let's follow this. We're going to do a little teaching this morning and following the scripture because I think this is important. It says, I know a man in Christ... 
who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. And he heard great things that he cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. Now, who's Paul talking about? Himself. He's using a creative way of talking to talk about himself. Very common in rhetorical speaking. You were like, why won't he just say, hey, I had this thing happen. It was really cool. Because he's not in the whole context of what he's saying. He's like, I'm not going to talk about my spiritual exploit. I'm, a lot of people in the charismatic circles need to learn this lesson themselves. You know, they're always talking about their visions and their dreams and their this and their that. See, Paul is going at it from another way. He's stepping outside of that and saying, I know a man. Because he's not claiming ownership. He's, he, right, he's saying this is a work of grace so much removed from my own efforts that I'm going to detach myself from him even knowing him. Do you see the humility in that? And so isn't that great? But the one thing that I want to point out to you is where was he caught up? There you go. Yes, the third heaven. So, the third heaven, what is the third heaven? Well, we know, we know this, that if there's three heavens, what else is there? There's one and two. I mean, that just, that's just reason, right? There's, a, there's the first heaven, there's the second heaven. So our job then today is to decipher what is the first heaven and the second heaven. Well, the first heaven is super easy. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the earth the firmament of his power. So what is the first heaven? There you go. It's where the birds live. It's our, it's our, um, it, it even encompasses it, our atmosphere, but it even encompasses outer space. It really does. It's our, it's our, because we can go, at the time the biblical writers were writing, they equated the solar heavens where the sun, moon, and stars live as the spiritual, the second heaven. Now, why do I say this? Because in their biblical worldview, they didn't have spaceships. They, Apollo 11 had not had a problem. You know what I mean? There was no man on the moon. That, the, the solar heavens where the planets dwell, where the moon lives, where the stars are at, there was no space station built. Sputnik had not come about. And so what we see there, to them, that was an unreachable place, an unknowable, mysterious place. And so when in a biblical point of view, and you can understand that if you live that there then, so they equate it in Revelation where it says there was a great star that fell from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit. What are we talking about? We're taking a star and we're making it into a what? An angel. So see, in the biblical worldview, stars, and see, well, I just read it to you, Daniel, you probably never picked it up. It said, and they will shine like stars in the heaven. So it puts, the biblical framework puts together, when you're glorified and I'm glorified, when we're resurrected in our body, we're going we're gonna to be, the glorification is going to be like Jesus on Mount, on Mount of Transfiguration, and we're going to radiate again the glory of God just like Jesus did. And so, see, to the biblical worldview, that makes it like a star. We're going to be, what are they saying? You're going to be spiritual beings. So now, 
We've defined the first heaven. We haven't entirely defined the second heaven. The second heaven, gosh, I guess I'm going to have to put these glasses on. Okay. The second heaven, huh? I know, but I can't see you. It bugs me. I know. I should just get used to it. It's all about me today, right? Okay. And so as we look here, it won't let me do this. Okay. Um, let's go to Psalm 33. Psalm. Now, I just want to, we're going to, I'm just making a, a detour through here so we can define these terms. Psalm 33, 13 and 14. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, so we've got, we're defining now the, where the Lord dwells. Let's look at 11, uh, Revelation eleven nineteen. You're like, Andrea, why did you make me go so far away? Okay, 11 and 19. Let's look. This will even give us more clarity. 11 and 19 of Revelation says that then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder and an earthquake and heavy hail. So where is God's Where's the third heaven? The third heaven is God's home. It's the where God dwells. Paul was caught up to the third heaven and he saw the, where God was at. The third heaven is a realm of the spirit. The second heaven is a realm of the spirit. That's lower. I mean, y'all are, are smart, right? It's lower than the third heaven. The first heaven is our atmospheric heaven, which is also still Lower. Now, lower in as far as position, but lower also in power. Right? Now, I've told y'all this before, and I get some sideways glances because it doesn't always fit with our charismatic belief. <clears throat> and I will say this, is that um, demons are in the unseen realm. Spirits, all spirits are in the unseen realm. Invisibility is a superpower. What do I mean by that? If you don't have a body, if you don't have a body, you can get away with a lot of stuff. You can hide in a lot of places. You can eavesdrop on a lot of conversations. How many of you wouldn't, if you had a demon there lit, taking in the information from you, and chronicling it to use on you later, wouldn't even have that conversation. Eggs, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, absolutely. So I said, not to scare you, not to scare anyone, but the reality is, is that how many of you admit that it's harder to defeat an enemy you can't see? See, that has a slight advantage. You're like, no, Andrew, the devil has no advantage. He doesn't in the cross. He has no advantage in the cross. But until you learn to operate from the cross's perspective of seated with Christ in heavenly places, you're subject to that. And so many people, this is what I see. We are really, 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 really good at diagnosing sickness and disease from the realm of the natural only. 
right? We start a, we put on latex gloves and we start an IV and we, you know what I mean? We do those things. And that's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's, we're, we're postmodern. We, we are scientifically minded. I mean, in the pandemic, we did what? We followed the science. You know what I mean? We, we followed the science while not following any science. I mean, the best I recall, I think that I was taught in school, probably like you, that viruses are microscopic and can pass through a mask. Right? But we still put on a mask and went, I sure hope this works. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's just crazy. And I'm not saying that I'm not for or against. I'm not saying, you know, did it help? I'm, that's not my point. You understand. Is that we, we are very science, supposedly scientifically minded. Well, in the Bible, they were not scientifically minded. Were they less than us because they weren't? No, they were far more intuitive to get rid of their problems. A woman, a mother brings, her, brings, uh, brings her, herself to Jesus and she says this. This happens over and over again. She says, my daughter is demon-possessed. He knew what was up. We bring our kids to the... My son likes to torment animals and start fires. Oh... He's having a psychotic episode. Let's get him on some antidepressants. <laughs> well, see, that literally. So, but see, now am I saying, oh, no, are you saying I'm not? See, don't, don't miss. This is so hard to talk about because it gets so offensive to people, right? Now, but the reality is at the very lowest common denominator Every single sickness and disease, no matter if it's in your body or in the body of your children, is a result of sin, and sin is a part of the satanic kingdom. And we have no trouble asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, but we can't ask him to heal. And it's all a part of the same atonement. And we're like, yeah, but I go to the doctor for my healing and I go to the church for my salvation. But see, here we go. But see, even in our salvation, we don't have it as a present reality. We have it as a future hope. I hope I go to heaven when sickness has had its full way in my life and I die. That's the only grid that you have for operation. And by your traditions, you make the word of God of none effect. You are powerful enough to take the very living and active word of God and to pull it from its operative power in your own life and in the lives of your family because of your refusal to depart from your traditions and instead you depart from the Word of God. Unbelief kept out the first generation, kept out the first generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt from what? The promises of God. And for you to think that unbelief won't keep you out of the promises of God, you have fallen and hit your head. And you can be healed from that. <laughs> Hard-hearted. You believe. That's right. So as we look, now what we've got, we've got a first heaven scenario, which is what we see where the birds live. 
And it, see, and see, you'll start seeing the biblical language come around. Now, see, it says the word of God. Man's heart is the soil, and the seed is the word of God. I'm, I'm speaking from Mark 4 right here. And, and then what happens to the first seed scenario? The sower goes out and sows the seeds. What I'm doing today, I'm sowing seed. I'm sowing the word of God on hearts. I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, I will. There's one in four types here. But what is the first type? What comes and gathers the seed? Turns into bird food. Which fowls are in the biblical ideology a demonic presence. And it says, even Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed that a man, a mustard seed that he sowed into his garden. And it grew. And it grew and it became the smallest of all seeds, but it became larger than any of the other trees in his garden. It became so big, its branches went out and the fowl of the air made their nests in the tree. How many of you are uncomfortable with the idea that you may have fowl in your branches? See, this is the reality of the biblical worldview. That in the second heaven, let's go a little further. Oh, oh yes, I want to join that hotspot. That way I can use my computer. Thank you. Okay, let's go a little further. Okay, now let's go to Ephesians 2. We're, we're, still, we're, we're, we're doing something big here. I know it may seem like we're not, but this is going to help you for the rest of your life. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Has anybody ever once were dead in your trespasses and sin? How many of you are no longer dead in your, there you go, see? Okay, in which you once walked. I know, see that's how I know that you're in sin is because you walk in sin. And sin is easy to diagnose, isn't it? It is for me. Following, he keeps going. You walked in it. You followed the course of this world. So the world has a course. It has a flow. It has a, it has a, 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 it has a whole, like, lanes and a, and, a, and a current to it. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit. So we've got air, his atmosphere. And we've got his form, spirit, that now is at work in the sons of disobedience to the word of God is proof that you are at best living with some fowl in your branches and at worst a son of of the devil. So there you go. This is why people say if you don't run into the devil ever now and then you might be going with him. So where's he at? So where, where then? He's the prince of the power of the air. So I've already got you there. Okay, now Ephesians 6 and 12. We're going to stay right in Ephesians. It's super hot on this topic. Ephesians 6 and 12. You can write these down. And tell them to your friends at Thanksgiving. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers 
over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Nope. Where's the third heaven? Nope. There we go. <laughs> Brian's like, try to keep up. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. You got it. So you got so so. At the first heaven is our atmosphere. Everybody go this. Everybody go. You just engaged with the first heaven, <laughs> right? Okay. The second heaven. The sp- it's, it's it's star, but it's not stars, is it? It's the spiritual. It's the spiritual. Don't think of it solar. Actually, the solar is a part. Thank you. The second heaven is the unseen spiritual realm, but it's where darkness dwells. I just read it, did I not? That's where darkness dwells, is in the second heaven. Now, where where does God dwell? The third heaven. What's higher than two? What's more powerful than two? So what's less powerful than two? Zero. Good job. Okay. Hey, that's right. Now let's go. Now I'm not, I'm telling you guys, this is hard for people. Okay. So now if we go to Ephesians 2.6, we're going to go back there. Because I want you to know where you're at. Ephesians 2.6. Okay. Five. Let's start at five. Let's start at five. No, Brian, you're, you're no dummy. (laughs) <laughs> even when we were dead in our trespasses and we already said this God raised us up he ra- and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus where are you at presently because 1 John four seventeen, I believe it says it says that as he is seated in heavenly places so are you in this world, right? So you presently, even though you have the disadvantage of not being able to see in the spirit realm, you have the power and authority because when Jesus sent out the 70, what did they come back and say? They didn't say, well, we healed the sick. Even the demons are, they had never, mm -mm, that was a big deal. See, because they're living in this context of knowing that demons are making them sick, making them crazy, and ruining their lives. You see that through the Gospels as Jesus says, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come near. So when I carry the kingdom of third heaven seatedness with Christ, so when I come in contact with a demon, they go that are in the second heaven, they don't say. Now, I, we told y'all, if you were here on a Wednesday, Mike told you the story of Tim Teague. Tim, missionary to Africa. He was in Africa with his uncles, Lonnie Harris and his brother Cleavy. Now, they were building tabernacles. They were supposed to have, in Africa, there's a lot of protocols. They were supposed to have gone to the chief of the area that they were building the tabernacle and got permission to be there to erect it. Now, they had already months, probably even a year before, this will happen in Africa, they'll set the footers. Things move slow in Africa. And so the missionary or the local pastor, he was supposed to go to the chief, schedule an appointment, follow all the tribal protocols, 
meet with him, get permission to bring an American team on this day to erect the tabernacle on his tribal land. You don't do it any other way. And so they show up, Tim, assuming this has all been done because this is how it's done. He's working with African nationals. They know how it's done. The pastor dropped the ball, didn't get the approvals. This American team shows up. They don't realize they have showed up in a time of war for this tribe. So when they, and they have a, they have a, an edict from their chief. And this is the edict. Every foreigner who steps foot on our tribal soil, we will be they will be killed. How many of you want to get out on that day? This team of a bunch of white people from Texas and Oklahoma don't even know what's going on. They're just like, mm, we're here and load the tabernacle. Well, um, a person, a representative from the chief comes out to him, and he's like, oh, you know, it's a big hubbub. He's like, what are you doing? He said, you have to come to the chief. And when, they, when Tim said, when I walked into the village, he said, and all the African warriors, the young men were there. He said, I knew. We're in trouble. He lived, he grew up in Africa. He knew we might die. Now, you can imagine how he felt at that. He didn't want to tell his uncle, oh, I think I brought you to your death, uncle. Uncles. So they're with them. And so Tim's like, Tim's fluent in French. He's fluent in the culture, in the diet. He grew up there. He's like, he's going through the protocols. He's talking to them. He knows everything. He knows, how, he knows enough to know he's dead. And so the chief says to his, chief never talks to a lower, talks to his, his, his guy, and he communicates right there, and he communicates. He won't talk directly to him. He talks to his man, and his man talks to Tim. And so his man, and Tim's like talking, to, and talking to that man is just like talking to the t- chief. It'd be, if we could learn that in Christendom. Yeah, so anyway, he's talking to him. And so Tim, and then as he, he's, he's saying, yes, and my, my humblest apologies, we were, you know, you know he's, he's groveling. And so the chief then looks directly at Tim and says, I want to talk to you. Tim's like. Wow. <laughs> and Tim is like, yes. And so then Tim says, Tim, and he says to Tim, he said, I want to know something. He said, we are in a time of war here, and spirits have descended on these trees. See, other cultures are perfectly aware of second heaven activity. This is a non-American thing. We're too scientific to believe in spirits. He said, he said spirits have descended on our trees. Tim said he grew up, he said, I have literally seen with my own eyes trees glow with demonic spirits in Africa. And he said, and so Tim is listening to him. He said, spirits have descended on our trees of war. We are in a time of great upheaval and war. He said, but when you got out of the car, the kingdom of God came with him. Because where's the kingdom of God? He said, when you got out of the car, he said, every one of the spirits in these trees departed. And he said, and I want to know. What do you carry? Yes, and so Tim said, I carry the great spirit. I carry Yahweh God. And he and his son is the prince of peace. 
And if you will allow me, I will build you a house of peace. And those spirits will never come back because the Prince of Peace will dwell in you. Because he understands spiritual. He understands the spiritual language. We don't. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle all the time in our American society, and we have no idea what we're fighting. We don't even know our enemy. We're trying to assault enemies with antibiotics and ointments and, and all kinds of things that we get at the pharmacy. But that, see, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we never actually go after what is ultimately causing the struggle in our lives. And, and they do. And see, these spirits that they believe in, they're, they're second heaven spirits. Do you understand? I don't want y'all to get caught up in this. Hear me if you don't hear anything else. Second heaven spirits are darkness. So when you go to a psychic and they tell you something true, they're just communicating with a demon just because it's right. Just because it, they told you something that's factual doesn't mean it's not demonic. Just because you got high and had a vision doesn't mean it's not demonic. You've just closed your mind off enough. That is a big thing right now in, in, um, in millennial culture. Do you all know that? Psychedelics. You're saying, that's not new. It's new. It now is back in a very clinical way where our, who is the Aaron Rodgers? Is that him, the football player? He talks about using psychedelics, pharmaceutical grade psychedelics, as a way to unlock childhood pain when he introduces himself through psychedelics to angels of light, light beings. Now, those, wait, wait, y'all, listen, listen. Those light beings that they're encountering are in the second heaven. Many people who supposedly get words of knowledge, I don't like this in charismatic circles either, where they want you to come and practice words of knowledge on you. I hate it. You know why I hate it? Because it's not that difficult to stick your antenna up into the second heaven. And to bring confusion. And the re you're like, why would people do that? Because it glorifies, because they'll tell you about, I know a man and I'm the man. I know a man, look what I did, look what I did, look what I can do, look what I can do, look what I can do. If anybody ever talks about my anointing, I shun it. I do. If I hear somebody say this, you are so anointed, you know what I do? I won't pray for them about five more times. I'll quit praying for people in the altar. Why? Why, Andrew? And I know the propensity of human flesh. Mm -mm. Nope. I'll do nothing before I claim what's not mine. I know a man. I know a man. And I'm telling you, operating in the anointing, can feel like a superpower. But don't get it twisted. There's a lot of people receiving second heaven information to their soul. See, my body corresponds to the first heaven. 
My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, and my intellect correspond to the second heaven. That's where Satan communicates. He's the prince of the power of the air. Why do you think Corinthians tells us to take every thought captive? Because where does he, so where does he, where does he spew his propaganda at? Ah, right there. Right there. Into your thoughts. He puts it into the gate of your mind. And if you don't know the word of God, then you don't know what's... I, mean, I hear people say this all the time. I don't, know, I don't know if this is the voice of God or not. Or my own voice or another voice. It's because you don't know the word. If you know the word, you will be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But see, then another one. There are many people who know the word and they could rightly divide the, word, divide the word of truth, but they are, in their essence, sons of disobedience because they have no desire to obey. And their lack of desire to obey is, is identified and evidenced by their lack of submission and obedience. They don't have any fruit. And there's a lot, whole nother group of people. Let's look at Balaam. Do y'all know who Balaam was? Balaam, the prophet in Numbers. One of the greatest prophets. He prophesied, the first person to prophesy Christ. Other than Genesis 3.15. Other than God himself. Balaam. If we get, we get confused. Gifting. Gifting without character of Christ is dangerous. The church culture is playing. I mean, look at what's the big church? Hillsong. The pastor standing in Justin Bieber's bathtub with his shirt off. Is there all yeah, that he's there, and, and, and they're drinking. And I, I listened to an interview just the other day from the horse's mouth of Brian Houston, constantly talking about, constantly talking about his fall, and he constantly put in the same words: "I didn't mean to do that. I was under the influence of of sleeping pills and alcohol." Maybe if you hadn't found a place in your theology for sleeping pills and alcohol. You wouldn't have found the. I think the demons found the opening. They, they, well, they say they're doing. That's what people who see that they say. I, there's a lot. Yes, there's a lot of those. But anyway, but I, even without the church, even see, here's my fear in the church is that we have settled. Then on the other end of the spectrum, for false power, because we want false power, because we won't actually bring ourselves under submission to the Holy Spirit, who by definition of His name, His first name is holy, then the other end of the spectrum is we say, well, there's just no more gifts of the Spirit. We just need to not mess with that spirit realm at all. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. And then we move, then we pluck the Holy Spirit and the spiritual realm out of our churches. But the Bible warns as heavily about that as it does about anything. It says in the last days there will be perilous times. The whole list of terrible atrocities is summed up with having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So we can't go that route either. It's not safe. So my point being is, is that when we look here in Revelation, what we understand is this war broke out in heaven. Where did it break out in? Tell me which one. The second heaven. Yes. 
So right now, now let's go to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to put all this together. This is going to get fun. 2 Thessalonians. Let me look. Two. And I'll tell you where when I get there. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Earth, we already talked. I said it. Did I not say it? It said the scripture said it very specifically, and he was cast down to. I know second heaven. He was. He's in the. Okay. My apologies. I didn't finish that. Whenever the disciples came back after they said, "Don't, don't just, don't be thrilled." that angels or that demons are subject to you, but rather that your name is written in the book of life, right? That's what Jesus said. And then he goes on to say after that, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He, I believe, is referring to his fall from the third heaven to the second. Okay, yeah, to the second heaven. Yeah, and so then from the second heaven, now he dwells, he's the prince of the power of the air presently. See, my big question was, is what degree does the cross give us victory? Is he cast, he's not cast to the earth now. He's not chained now, right? And so, because Paul, in the context of the cross, calls him the prince of the power of the air. In the context of the age of grace under the cross, Paul says in Ephesians that he is, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Those high places, we don't wrestle in third heaven. We receive revelation in third heaven. We receive our authority from third heaven. We receive our, the name that is above every name in third heaven. That's, we will operate under the power of eternity of third heaven reality here on earth as ambassadors of Christ. And if any of you, how many of you have ever been a power of attorney? I've been a power of attorney for a man, not anybody in my family. My boss, he owned three companies, and I was on the board of all three corporations, and he made me the power of attorney for all three of his business. The only thing that I did not have power of attorney over was his health. That was his wife's. He said, you can decide what properties to buy or sell. You can decide who to hire or to fire. You can decide what to do with every bit of my resources and my assets. He said, but my wife will decide whether or not to pull the plug. And I said, that's good, right? But now here's the deal. You're like, wow, Andrea, you had a lot of authority. I did. But I, the only reason he gave me that authority is because I would never step outside of his will. I wasn't going to steal his money. I wasn't going to buy or sell something that wasn't in interest to his businesses. So I had power of attorney. On Christmas Eve, I was sitting at a title company closing on a piece of land and signing every document. Andrea Sanders, P-O-A. And I put his name. I mean, how long that takes to close on property and sign that whole thing? See, I was doing business on his behalf. See, Jesus said, you have not asked for anything in my name. But today, disciples, I give you... Power of attorney. 
mean, this ought to get you excited. And that power of attorney is seated. It's galvanized. Where? First heaven, second heaven, or third heaven? Third heaven. And third is higher than second and first. So I operate in an inferior order, but by a superior order. And I say, in Jesus' name, be healed. Yeah, and so when he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus. And what did they say? We don't care what you preach. You just don't use that name. Nice try, devil. Okay, how about this? Yeah, if you want to swear, yeah. So here's what we say. We would say here that in Jesus' name we have authority. But then church culture in America has said, well, the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in operation. So what has happened? We couldn't get people to stop using the name of Jesus. We just got them to stop believing it works for certain powers. Like, you know, authority over sickness, which is the result of sin, which is under the dominion of the devil. You see what I'm saying here? Yes. Clarify. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Happened. Happened. in whenever, we don't know. Probably it happened before Genesis. It happened before time pre-Genesis. Yep. He becomes a snake in the garden. Uh-huh. The earth to finish up the last three and a half years of Jacob's trouble. Okay. So are we all on track now? See where we're at? Now what does this all mean for y'all? I, I hope this has unpacked a lot of different theology for you. And has taught you where your power and authority lies. And now it's, it's time for us to go. So I just want to make sure that, oh, 2 Thessalonians. Oh, no, guys, I know. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. Okay. Two. Okay. Let no one deceive you in any way. What, let, three. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day. What day? The day when Christ returns. Because I'm going to prove it to you. Number one. Now concerning the coming of our Lord in Jesus Christ. That day. That's the day we're talking about. Let no one deceive you concerning that day. The coming of the Lord. Um, do not be alarmed quickly or shaken in mind. Alarmed in spirit or spoken word or letter. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. What's that? The great falling away. The apostasy. I believe we are in the days of the apostasy right now. People are falling away from truth, from the church, from faith. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. I believe the revealing of the Antichrist is on. We are just, we're inside, right there. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was with you, I told you these things. So what is he going to do? So when Satan is cast out of the second heaven because of the war that breaks out in the second heaven, Michael, he's cast out. These angelic, demonic, fallen angels with him are cast where? It's going to get ugly. And he's enraged because his time is short. He will actually, at that time, possess the man known as the Antichrist. He will be 
he will fake a resurrection. There will be a fake resurrection. It says that his head will be wounded mortally. Of somehow, mortally wounded. But then he will be able to bring himself back to life, claiming God-like power. Antichrist. If you don't know the word, you might think, as you, if, if you don't understand this second heaven type power, and you have all these people who operate in all these spiritualist psychics and horoscopes, and they're communing with demons all the time, and then the next thing you know, you've got the Antichrist, it's time to go, the Antichrist now possessing the, being possessed by Satan himself, people are like, oh, great Antichrist, but they don't say that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Um, when we, the Bible says that when we to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go to paradise is in. Paul already used the language. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven, the paradise of God. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will be in Christ. When you, if you die tomorrow, you're going to the third heaven. That's the home of God. There's no in-between. Well, that means the death... Nope, no holding. There's no such thing as soul sleep nor holding place. No purgatory. The Bible says that the moment a person dies, they are in the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that question. The 13 is the number of confusion. Right? I don't know. Under, under, um, under secular logic I thought that was biblical numerology. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it is. Maybe. Anyway, James 13 says that when you're tempted... God doesn't tempt anybody, but when, when sin is, is conceived, it brings yes. forth death. Yes. But it all comes from that 13. When I, when I was listening to you and I read that James uh -huh. 13, I thought that's where the confusion starts. That's what James is isolating. I mean, it might be. Well, I, this, is one thing, this is one thing I say about n the numbers and verses. When people who use verses for try to get some spiritual meaning okay. from it, the verses were added much later, much, much, much later. They're not a part of these. Right. They might be illuminated, but they're not inspired. So it's hard for us to grab verses and make something out of it. And I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I'm always conscientious of the fact that the headings and the verses were brought about much later. The Bible existed in one scroll, and it didn't have verses and different things. Right. And so to add that, that came much later than the actual scripture did. And also, if you read like I do, the Tree of Life yeah. version, the verses are different. They're not always the same. Yeah. So That's what I was reading on the yeah. Tree of Life version. Yeah, and so, but it, it does. But that's to say too, though the Tree of Life version. Man, my point is, right. is that numbering to scriptures was added by humans much later. Right. So is can God not? Can God use that to talk? Absolutely. But is that a good way to base doctrine or teaching? No. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you said, that, you yeah. know, do the alcohol and, and the uh -huh. uh, psychedelic that God's unlocked. Yeah. Yeah. You did it to yourself. Yes. Come on. Yes. You invited. Here I am. You go. You just put your.